This week on Geek Explained, with his appearance in the latest episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we're taking a look at one of Captain America's biggest rivals. So join me as I Geek Explain Baron Zemo. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about Baron Zemo, the purple headed sock man himself. Baron Zemo has a long standing comics history, and recently he has lit the internet on fire once again with his latest appearance in the uh, in episode three of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So in this week's episode, we are going to take a deep dive into his history and tell you everything you need to know about Baron Helmet Zemo, and maybe not just Helmet Zemo. We also have, of course, speaking of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, our latest weekly review on the newest episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No miscellaneous news this week, so we're going to kick things off with film news. Five pieces of film news I want to talk about right quick. Uh, first off, some sad news on the DC Comics film front. Two films that have been in development for years, technically, at this point. Uh, New Gods, helmed by Ava DuVernay and Tom King, as well as James James Wan's The Trench Aquaman spinoff have been officially canceled. Um, it's, you know, I don't know, man. I I was never super into the idea of The Trench as a film, but I was very interested in this New Gods adaptation, especially with Tom King uh, on writing duties. He's the guy who gave us Mr. Miracle, one of my favorite graphic novels of all time, and Ava DuVernay is an incredible director, and the fact that they're not going to be able to tell their story is... it sucks. Especially because there are rumors going around that the reason that it was... or one of the reasons that led to it being canned is that it featured Darkseid and DC Comics and Warner Brothers didn't want Darkseid to mess with the Darkseid appearance in the Snyder Cut. Um, come on, guys. Come on. You, you, you're going to have three Batmen appearing within the same year of each other. Like, you can't... Anyway, um, it's, it's dumb. It's really dumb. Like, they are picking and choosing when and where they want to have their quote-unquote multiverse. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to a lot of people. Least of all, it seems, uh, Ava DuVernay and Tom King, who are 
just heartbroken, I can imagine. Um, but it sucks. Hopefully this paves the way for something uh, bigger and grander and better for the new gods, but I'm not holding my breath at this point. Uh, something I am very excited about, though, uh, is that we got the fir- the first trailer and voice cast reveal for Batman The Long Halloween. This is a uh, new animated DC TV film. Um I don't I don't want to say DCTV because it's not like any Arrowverse stuff, but it's like a it's classified as direct to video. Um, But it's basically an adaptation of one of the most iconic, I I think is the proper term for it. Batman stories of all time uh, written by somebody, but art by Tim Sale, which is fantastic. Uh, The voice cast, let me pull this up here, features jensen ackles as batman slash bruce wayne he's making the big jump from jason todd to big old batman uh we have josh duhamel as harvey dent billy burke as james gordon titus welliver as carmine falcone uh david dust Malchian as calendar man which is amazing i love that casting uh we have uh let's see here troy baker is returning as the joker amy landiker as barbara gordon julie nathanson as gilda dent jack quaid as alberto falcone uh, Fred T- Fred Tattashore as Solomon Grundy, Alistair Duncan as Alfred, and Naya Rivera um, playing Catwoman. If you uh, remember, Naya Rivera unfortunately passed earlier this year, so this is going to be her final role that she performed. I am pretty sure that she uh, recorded all of her... Um, all of her lines for this film. Uh, this now the adaptation is getting split into two parts. So part one is dropping uh, this summer, and part two is possibly dropping this fall, if not early, early next year. But it looks good. You know, you can tell that it's very much the same team as Superman: Man of Tomorrow, uh, same director and writer, I believe. And it looks good. It looks good. It looks like it's taking the story seriously. I kind of wish. That that they had taken more cues from Tim Sale's art style for this film, but it's very clearly trying to stay within the same kind of lines animation-wise as Superman Man of Tomorrow and the upcoming uh, JSA World War II movie. So I'm not mad at it. I'm not saying that it's bad, but I am I am a little... I, I would be lying if I said I didn't miss the Tim Sale-isms of the story. But looks good. Jensen Ackles sounds great as Batman, and I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the adaptation of the of the graphic novel. Uh, we also got another trailer already for The Suicide Squad, speaking of David Mastalchian. Um, this trailer is just as good as the first one. <laughs> uh, it does seem to take a little bit more of a serious tone, which I find interesting. And it gives you just a, like, a skosh, just a skosh more of story. But I'm very excited about this. I loved the first trailer. Second trailer was just as good. And I'm excited. I'm I'm ready for this to come out. And I'm really just, I'm really hoping, my boy, Captain Boomerang, I'm worried about him. Uh, we also received news uh, this past week that Knives Out, you remember that movie that I absolutely loved? Um, It's two sequels, Knives Out 2 and Knives Out 3, have been purchased by Netflix for something in the range of like, I think it was like $750 million or something like that. But Netflix is, uh, is trying to 
make some major plays now that everyone's getting in on the streaming uh on the streaming market so i don't mind this as long as they continue to keep the spirit of the original knives out film alive um i'm down i'm always down to see more uh benoit blanc for sure and then we also got an announcement for black adam black adam uh, revealed its official release date which is july 29th of 2022 so summer of next year expect dwayne johnson to come in and dunk on some kids it's gonna be a fun time uh jumping over to tv news now three pieces of tv news we found out that witcher season two has finished filming multiple posts by people in the production signifying the end of production very excited. I really enjoyed the first season, and I'm looking forward to seeing season two. Netflix, speaking of Netflix, also debuted its first trailer for Yasuke. Uh, this is an anime essentially telling the story of the first Black Samurai. The trailer looks dope. It looks really, really good. Um, it looks, honestly, like it's taking a lot of cues animation style wise from uh samurai shampoo which i absolutely love uh big fan of that anime and i loved the everything about this trailer just the story the voice cast is fantastic i believe it's uh lakeith stanfield is playing the titular character it looks great can't wait to watch this and then finally we got a new trailer for loki the loki uh disney plus series which i believe is dropping in june um it looks good looks real real good um it's it's given us definitely more information than we got from the previous trailers which has not been a lot so i was glad to get some info from this and we're just we're gonna be getting a lot of tom hiddleston and owen wilson like what's not to love about it uh there was also this interesting shot of uh loki sitting in this purple bathed area with uh, some unnamed woman. A lot of people, uh, myself included, on first glance, thought this was maybe uh, Loki going to Vormir. But from what I understand, this is going to be uh, touching on female Loki. So maybe it's her. Who knows? Uh, but it looks interesting, looks fun, looks like, again, something wildly different from WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. And if nothing else, we can say that they are doing their best to differentiate each show from each other. So really, really like that. And then rounding things out with comics news this week, first off, something I'm very excited about, uh, DC Comics announced this pretty awesome one shot that's going to be dropping in may called dc festival of heroes the asian superhero celebration um this is exactly pretty much what it sounds like a one shot dedicated to celebrating asian superheroes which there are not a lot of so i was really excited to hear this announcement uh we also saw that over the past week that uh, certain uh, stories have been confirmed, creative teams, and that they are going to be unveiling a brand new hero called the Monkey Prince, who is very clearly based off Sun Wukong, the Monkey King. I believe it's uh, Jin Lun Yang and Bernard Chang are going to be putting this guy together, which you could not ask for a better creative team for this. But 
reading the press release here on uh, the DC Comics website. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read it off. It says, DC Festival of Heroes, the Asian Superhero Celebration, is an incredible anthology spotlighting DC's past, present, and even future Asian superheroes, featuring some of the most dynamic Asian storytellers in and out of comics. Uh, DC Festival of Heroes will treat readers to the first appearance of an all-new character, the Monkey Prince, debuting in a story written by award-winning writer Jean Lun Yang with art by Bernard Chang. Monkey Prince is inspired by the Monkey King, legendary hero of Chinese mythology and the classic tale Journey to the West. In Yang and Chang's original 12-page story, the Monkey Prince hates superheroes. Monkey Prince battles and teams up with Shazam to defeat both the evil Dr. Savannah and a Chinese deer demon spirit. That's awesome. It's silly, it's fun, it's got Shazam. I'm super down for this. But uh, additional stories include the following... Uh, masks written by rom v uh says here rom v teams up with art audrey mock to tell a story featuring jade nguyen aka cheshire tying into v's catwoman run selena kyle's protege's shoes has selena kyle's protege shoes has visions of being rescued as a child by cheshire Shoes takes these visions as a sign, donning a mask, taking the name Cheshire Cat, and asking Selena Kyle to train her. But is Catwoman ready to take on a sidekick? We also have Sounds, uh, which reads Detective Comics writer and Eisner Award winner Mariko Tamaki and, Mar- and artist Marcus Toe team up to tell a story featuring Cassandra Kane, a.k.a. Batgirl. Batgirl struggles to understand words, but with her ability to read body language and uncanny fighting skills, she really doesn't have to until she meets someone and wishes she had the right words, any words, to say to them. That's interesting. Uh, we also have What's in the Box. Cassandra Kane once again, steps into the spotlight once more, but this time with Colin Wilkes, a.k.a. Abuse, who first appeared in Detective Comics number 947, courtesy of words and art by Dustin Yuyen. Abuse finds Batgirl sitting by a bridge, upset by a comment made by Damian Wayne. Okay, so we're going to have to beat up Damian Wayne later. Um, we'll link up for that later. Uh, dress code. Teen... Oh, sweet. Okay, Green Lantern Ty Pham makes his first comic book debut in this story by Green Lantern Legacy writer Min Lee with artist Trung Lee Nguyen. Green Lantern is fighting with Arkillo, and the villain taunts him for his costume looking like a dress. This reminds Ty of a memory with his dead grandmother who he inherited his powers from. Um, if you haven't yet, Green Lantern Legacy is awesome you need to go read that ty fam is a character who i am very excited to see it get integrated more into the mainline uh dc universe and i hope that this is a step in that direction we also have festival of heroes in a story by writer amy chu and artist marcio takara influenced by current headlines katana cyborg and blue beetle jaime reyes are asked to safeguard an asian american and pacific islander community celebration against potential violence from a white supremacist group but the heroes are quickly reminded that you don't need capes masks or even special abilities to be a hero i like that a lot um Uh, We also have Hawk and Kong. Writer Greg Pak and artist Sumit Kumar team up on a story spotlighting the return of one-time Green Arrow... (gasps) One-time Green Arrow Connor Hawk and Kong Keenan. Okay. Okay. If you wanted me to read this book, all you needed to do was give me this. Connor Hawk and Kong. 
I love this. Um, Connor Hawk and Kong Keenan, also known as New Superman. Connor and Keenan need to do some quick thinking when a gift for Connor's Korean aunt gets damaged in a battle with a dragon. I love I love this so much. I'm very excited about this. Uh, we also have Special Delivery. Master of None writer Aziz Ansari makes his comic book debut with artist Sammy Basri in the story featuring Robin, Damian Wayne. As Robin ponders about his heritage, he slowly discovers that something about this pizza place seems off. We also have Kawaii Calamity. Shadow of the Batgirl writer Sarah Kuhn and illustrator Victoria Ying tell a story about Red Arrow's reluctance of enjoying kawaii things because of people's general assumptions of what she likes simply based on her Japanese heritage. Love that. Uh, we have Family Dinner. Amazon juggernaut Grace Choi has to meet her girlfriend Anissa, Anissa Pierce's dad for dinner. But when your girlfriend is Thunder, that means meeting the parents is that much more stressful because her father is Black Lightning. And then finally, Perceptible. The good Asian duo of Pornsak Pichetchot uh, and Alexandre Tefenki uh, tell a tale featuring the Atom, Ryan Choi, trying to defeat a microscopic robot sent from the future to save our reality as we know it. This 100-page commemorative anthology is a great way to celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, awesome storytelling, and DC's superheroes when it comes or when it arrives in comic book stores and on participating digital platforms on Tuesday, May 11th, 2021. I am super excited about this book. Um, all these stories sound fantastic. As an Asian American comic book nerd, this sounds amazing. I love this. Um, very excited just reading through all these. Uh, man, this is going to be such a good book. I can't wait to pick this up. Uh, next, we have some not-so-great DC news. Um, this past week, DC Comics, along with announcing that DC Festival of Heroes one-shot, also announced what they're calling the DC Round Robin Tournament. Um, I'm just going to read the tweet that DC Comics put out in all of its terrible glory it says welcome to dc round robin one of these pitches will become a new comic book series and it's up to you to decide which vote for your favorites in the thread below i don't like this basically um what i can tell from this is that people creative teams have had these pitches for a while and dc editorial decided Instead of giving you the opportunity to tell these stories, we're going to force your pitches to be in this Hunger Games-style battle to the death until only one of them will be able to be made into a book. This sucks. I am not about this at all. Um, by the time that you're listening to this, the... Um, the voting will have ended at least for the first round, but we are going to be dealing with this for a little while. So I figured I'd go ahead and read off the, um, the contenders for the pitches. Uh, first off in the, in a first round matchup, we have Asteria, the last Amazon where an immortal champion returns to man's world to discover the Amazon sacrifice now forgotten and the secret family she left behind offering one last chance at redemption goes up against Superman and Lois ignition. Our solar system is a machine and its purpose is to trap and kill Superman together. He and Lois face ancient aliens and trickster asteroids as they fight to save our future. I am going to just preface this by saying I'm not going to take the time to say, oh, you should vote for this person, you should vote for this person. It sucks. This situation sucks. Um, but 
I guess yeah it's 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 unfortunate but next up we have swamp thing a house of secrets louisiana 1905 the monstrous alex olson his widow linda and his undead rival damien vie for control of the cursed swamp where life and death spiral into one nightmare going up against suicide squad seven that is a bad name uh in south america harley quinn leads an adventurer a stage magician a sugar obsessed killer a former hero a drunk assassin a mute metahuman and a child who becomes a monster so that's that one we also have blue beetle graduation day when the reach interrupts jaime's graduation the fallout puts his future as blue beetle in jeopardy and poses the ultimate question what is life what Oh, what does life after high school look like? Ugh, these things are worded. Weird. And that's going up against Night Runner, Love in Paris. When the fans of an intoxicating virtual songstress start disappearing throughout Paris, Night Runner must track down the infamous developer behind the celebrity AI. We also have Paws Off the Justice League. When the Justice League disappears, Jimmy Olsen and the Super Pets must save the world from certain doom, going up against Jesse Quick Control. As Jesse Quick's super speed fades, she gains a new ability. But when the power begins to corrupt Jesse, she must give it up or risk becoming, quite literally, her own worst enemy. And then we have, let's see here, uh, Lobo Animal Man Scorched Earth. The main man's latest contract leads him to do the unthinkable. For the next six months, Lobo will protect the shit out of Earth at all costs. Going up against Son of the Creeper. An awkward teen's life turns upside down when he inherits his dad's chaotic powers. Now, Kieran Miller must save a father he doesn't know from the monster he's become. We also have The Brave and the Bug, Crisis on Infinite Ambush, where Ambush Bug must survive an attack by other Ambush Bugs from across the multiverse who never got to exist thanks to his refusal to be rebooted. Going up against Zatanna and the King of Nightmares, something is wrong with Zatanna's powers, but before she can heal, she has to confront her worst fears as well as a terrifying new foe, the King of Nightmares. And then we also have Etta Candy, Holiday Hero Incorporated. When an accident grants Etta Candy superpowers, she joins forces with Wonder Woman and her sorority sisters to protect anyone in need going up against Green Lantern's Underworld on Fire. Kyle Rayner and Kilowog are on the case of Space Outlaws raising the intergalactic underworld sector by sector. But will Kyle go by the book when he finds out who's behind it all? I could actually see that being a sequel to Omega Men, but... Um, and then finally, the one, the matchup that I think has gotten people most heated, has gotten the most, I think, attention, is uh, JLQ, which is uh, eight young queer heroes investigate a series of monstrous manifestations around the world and discover that something much more terrifying is coming, going up against Robins. A small group meets at Dick Grayson's apartment, but what's brought them here isn't that they're all former sidekicks to Batman. They're being hunted by one claiming to be the first that's really frustrating um and the thing that a lot of people um have a problem with for this is that this is jlq of course probably most likely stands for justice league queer um because it has a young queer heroes there is not a whole lot of lgbt representation when it comes to comics especially when it comes to the big two especially when it comes to dc comics um and the fact that they have only one pitch for an lgbt focused book and they're putting up against a bat 
Batman IP means that it there's no chance that it's going to win the win the poll against each other. Right now, as I'm recording this, right, um, so far actually is much closer than I think a lot of people were were expecting. Over forty thousand votes have been cast. Uh, JLQ is sitting at forty six percent, and Robin's at fifty four. Now. The thing about this and the thing that struck me about reading all of these pitches is that a lot of them have to do with minority groups, whether they're POC, whether they're LGBT, like these are characters that do not get a whole lot of play in the greater DC universe. And it's frustrating that instead of opening the doors to give more representation, give more opportunities, they are forcing us, the audience, to choose between these pitches instead of giving them the opportunity to shine maybe they fail maybe they don't i think everyone remembers the new 52 releasing 52 new books in 2011 and half of them going away by the next year like dc comics is not you know is not unfamiliar with books not selling well but how are you going to know what's going to sell well and what won't if you don't release them so it's unfortunate it's a frustrating situation um i will keep you folks up to date with how things go along, how things progress, but it is a very frustrating situation for everybody involved. But finally, to round off the news segment, to round off comics news, something that I'm actually very excited about, which is Spider-Man Life Story. If you haven't yet, go back in the archives, check out my Spotlight episode on Spider-Man Life Story. That's the episode where I cried, I full-on cried, that just happened you just want to hear me cry about a spider-man story that's what to go to um but it was announced this past week that spider-man life story is continuing for one issue only with spider-man life story annual number one reuniting the team that was originally on this book i'm talking your chip zadarsky i'm talking your mark bagley i'm very excited about this the um the cover depicts J. Jonah Jameson, who unfortunately during the course of the story being told in Spider-Man Life Story didn't get a whole lot of time. So I'm excited for them to kind of circle back and talk about Jameson's experience, hopefully, fingers crossed. But I'm just, I'm really excited about this book for sure. But that is going to do it for this week's news. And speaking of Marvel Comics, we're going to roll right on into the main event of this episode, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I geek explain Baron Zemo. So, you watched this last week's episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and you want to know more about Zemo. Well, this is the episode for you. 
Welcome to another edition of my Geek Explained series where I take a character, a team, or whatever from comics and I Geek Explain it to you. This time we are talking about Baron Zemo, the purple sock-wearing man who's on the lips of virtually everybody who's seen the meme of Daniel Bruhl dancing. This episode, we're going to be talking about his entire comic book history. So strap in. This is going to be a bit of a long one. He's been around for a while. And because when you say Baron Zemo, if you have been reading comics for a little bit of time, you know that two people come to mind. So we're not just going to be talking about Baron Helmet Zemo. Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to be talking about also Baron Heinrich Zemo. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't know? You didn't know that there were two Baron Zemos? Well, that's why we're here. So let's go ahead and just dive into it. We've done this series before for different characters. We did one for Val Zod. We've done one for Vision and the Scarlet Witch recently. So I would like, I think if I can, for every uh, every Disney Plus series, I would like to do at least one of these for, uh, for each of those that come out. So the last one that we did basically centered around, when it came to the Disney Plus series anyway, uh, the history between Vision and the Scarlet Witch, their romance and everything like that. So this time around... We are going to be talking about two characters who are not in love, not even a little bit. Um, So let's just go ahead and dive into it, Um, starting off with, of course, Heinrich Zemo, technically the first Baron Zemo, sort of, kind of, we're going to get into it. Uh, Baron Baron Heinrich Zemo's first appearance was in Avengers number four, way back in March 1964, though his first official in-character appearance was in Avengers number six, two issues later, in July 1964. In Avengers number four, he was more or less kind of a cameo because that was the issue where, of course, Captain America came back, uh, joined the Avengers, talked about him and Bucky going to stop this experimental drone from hitting the U.S., and the person behind that drone, as we would come to find out, was Baron Zemo. You see his little icon there if you read the book, and then I think you see his hand at one point, but he first officially appears in Avengers number 6. He was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. His team affiliations include Nazi Germany, as well as the Masters of Evil. His powers and abilities include slowed aging due to the effects of Compound X. He has a genius intellect, and he is a master of hand-to-hand combat. His equipment includes his Death Ray slash Disintegrator gun. Uh, this is basically it's exactly how it sounds. He uses it to kill things and destroy people. Uh, he has a crown that is pretty signature to his look along with his purple slash pink sock mask thing and this crown has technology embedded into it to ward off any kind of psychic attack and he also employs compound x this is a specific um a uh, specific compound that he's personally developed that he has uh, developed into different weapons at his disposal with particle X. He can use it to disrupt any kind of machinery or tech with adhesive X. He can make two things stick together forever. Uh, unless, you know, you get somebody like, I don't know, 
it, it's very difficult to separate those two things once they've been uh, bonded with adhesive X. And then he has Formula X, which is essentially more or less just knockout gas. Now, Heinrich started things off. He was born in 1900, in the year 1900, at Castle Zemo. And he is actually the 12th Baron Zemo. I was going to do a whole bit where I went through Zemo's 1 through 12 before getting to Helmet, but I figured that just it it wouldn't it just it wouldn't be fun it wouldn't be fun for me it wouldn't be funny for you so we're skipping right to number 12 heinrich uh pretty quickly after growing up joined the nazi party during its early development and during his developmental years he met and eventually married a woman named hilda and together the two of them gave birth to a son who would go on to be known as helmet because, you know, it's a normal it's a normal name for a child. But around uh, November of 1941, uh, Heinrich, who had already been sympathetic to the Nazi, uh, Nazi movement, uh, began working with a certain Baron von Strucker. You all know Baron Strucker. We've talked about him before. And he began to work with him basically to further the uh, scientific developments and scientific uh, pursuits of the Nazi party. And during this initial working um, agreement with Baron Strucker was when Heinrich first met Captain America and his pal, Bucky. The two crossed paths very briefly, but it was enough to put a lasting impression onto Heinrich. And he personally saw to more or less get rid of the Star-Spangled Avenger along with his buddy so that the Nazis could win World War II. Uh, shortly after this, while working on an experimental um, compound that would, of course, eventually be known as Compound X, in uh, his castle, his castle, Castle Zemo, was uh, raided by none other than Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. This caused the uh, disruption of not just his development of Compound X, but also the development of a experimental death ray that he had been working on to level not just the uh, front lines of the Allies, but also to more or less take out the United States as a whole. During this uh, raid, all of his research, all of his technological advancements were more or less, uh, what's the word, uh, were more or less halted, more or less thwarted, and uh, he was forced into hiding with his wife and his son. And following this, with his reputation in tatters, with his name, you know, basically out for the world to keep an eye out for, he started wearing this mask to conceal his identity when he would go off and work with the Nazis. This mask, of course, would be the pink sock mask that he would come to be known by. And during this time that he was in exile, essentially, he began working on his Compound X and developing it into Adhesive X. Uh... During his first big breakthrough of Adhesive X, you know, perfecting it, perfecting the formula, another raid happened because Heinrich never got to ever finish anything that he was working on. This time, this raid was led by none other than Captain America himself. And during the ensuing battle, 
The Adhesive X bonded to Heinrich while he was wearing his mask, permanently bonding the mask to his face and ruining any chance of a normal life for him forever. And because of this, Heinrich developed a deep-seated hatred for Captain America and shifted his focus from helping the Nazis win World War II to completely and totally destroying Captain America. He continued to battle against the invaders throughout World War II and also clashed with time-traveling heroes throughout uh, two different uh, specific... Uh, instances that come to mind he fought against the fantastic four as well as the thunderbolts and we'll get into thunderbolts don't you worry but in 1945 baron heinrich zemo was tasked by the red skull who was becoming prominent in their nazi circles to sabotage an experimental drone over in uh england that was set to make a grand unveiling a test run and His goal, basically, Heinrichs, was to sabotage this drone so that it would fly into the U.S. and blow up one, if not two or three different cities. Thankfully, Bucky and Cap got word of his his tampering and arrived just as the experimental drone was taking flight. The two of them managed to climb on board of the experimental drone, but... Knowing that this was always a possibility, Zemo detonated a bomb that was embedded into the drone, seemingly killing Bucky and sending Cap into the waters below, where he was considered missing in action and froze in suspended animation for the next few years, or the next decades, depending on Marvel's rotating timeline. Uh, Following the war, following the end of World War II, uh, Heinrich left Germany with his family and relocated to a nice, cozy uh, cozy little getaway in South America, and there is where he stayed for decades. During his time in hiding, He became uh, more irate, became more um, vicious towards his wife and son, and these years would have a lasting effect on Helmet. Uh, During this exile as well, he began further development of his old Death Ray project, where he was not looking to just kill things, he was looking to utterly destroy them. Decades later... He awoke to the news that Captain America had been found, that he had been frozen in suspended animation, and that he was joining up with the Avengers, who were the uh, premier superhero team at the time. Thanks to the effects of Adhesive X and the experiments with Compound X, Heinrich's aging had been slowed. He remained as, you know, fit as ever, and... Knowing that going up against Captain America now meant going up against a team of superheroes, Heinrich decided he needed a team of his own. So he established the Masters of Evil to battle against Cap and take out the Avengers once and for all. And in Avengers number six, these two teams clashed. Now this initial Masters of Evil lineup included Amora the Enchantress, Scourge, Radioactive Man, The Melter, and Black Knight, led by, of course, Heinrich Zemo. And this this issue, if you've never read it, it's ridiculous, okay? Because the Masters of Evil 
aren't even really more or less defeated by the Avengers. They're defeated by a team called the Teen Brigade. That's right. My boy Pastepot Pete is the reason that uh, the Masters of Evil are ultimately thwarted because Pastepot Pete is able to... uh, essentially make a counteracting agent to Adhesive X, which the Masters of Evil were threatening New York with. And by the end of the issue, uh, the Teen Brigade is solely responsible for getting Zemo defeated and apprehended by the authorities. It's wild, and it's hilarious. So, um, I think, understandably, Heinrich was very upset by this, the fact that he had made all these plans to take out Cap, and was, of course, uh, outdone by a team of teenagers, one of which his name is Paste Pot Pete. And he decided to not just war on Captain America, but also to war on his teenage companions. This all culminated in an effort in a plot to kidnap Rick Jones, who was getting very close to Cap and was being considered as a new Bucky for Steve Rogers. And basically, in another Masters of Evil plot, uh, Baron Zemo sent the rest of his Masters of Evil to distract the Avengers while he kidnapped Rick Jones and retreated back to South America. And after he was pursued by Cap, they had one last battle in the heart of the Amazon rainforest. During this, Steve used the reflection off of his shield to momentarily blind Heinrich, who started blasting in every direction and unfortunately caused an avalanche, which did land on top of him and killed him. He triggered an an avalanche and he died. And in Avengers number 15 in April 1965, that was the end of Baron Heinrich Zemo. But it wasn't the end of Baron Zemo the title, because... We also have to talk about his young son, the lad, the boy, Baron Zemo number two, Helmet Zemo. Now, Helmet Zemo, for a lot of people, myself included, is kind of the true Baron Zemo. This is the Zemo that we all know. This is the Zemo we all love, I guess is, I guess, that's a word you could use. Um, he made his first appearance in Captain America number 168 way back in December 1973. So think about that for a second. We had eight years between the death of Heinrich Zemo and the debut of Helmet Zemo. That is long-term storytelling, if ever there was one. Uh, Helmet Zemo was created by Roy Thomas, Tony Isabella, and Sal Buscema, and his team affiliations include Hydra, the Thunderbolts, the Redeemers, and the Secret Empire. His powers and abilities include slowed aging, also due to Compound X, genius-level intellect. He is a master combatant in in all forms, including hand-to-hand, swordsmanship, and marksmanship, and he is a master tactician. Tactician. He's also a master technician. He's very studied when it comes to (laughs) science and chemistry. Um, His equipment include, of course, Adhesive X. He has the trademark Zemo crown, which I really hope he gets in Falcon and Winter Soldier. And he is known to pal around with an adamantium sword. Now, the sword isn't always adamantium, But usually, when he's going up against Cap, he has an adamantium sword, because it's the one thing that is able to give Cap's vibranium adamantium alloy shield a run for its money. Now, Helmet was brought up 
essentially during that uh, exile period where they were staying in the in South America. Heinrich was being a dick because he was mad that the Nazis lost. And so Helmut was brought up, regardless of all this, to idolize both his father as well as Nazi ideals. He was essentially taught from birth by his father that he was the only person fit to rule the world because he came from the right genes. Gah, yikes. Uh, during this time, during his adolescence and into adulthood, he was trained both in science and war. And after hearing the news of his father's death during the avalanche, he set out for revenge. And in Captain America number 168, Helmet, instead of jumping straight into the Baron Zemo um, identity, decided to become the Phoenix. No, not that one. A different one. Uh, this was a just a god-awful costume paired with his father's death ray, the disintegration gun. And in his first outing, not like, oh, he's been training for this. Oh, he's had some, you know, minor crimes to get himself ready for this. No, his first act as a supervillain, he's able to knock out Cap and capture him. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we need to relook at the uh, the qualifications that supervillains need nowadays. But anyway, uh, Helmet Zemo captures Cap and suspends him over this vat of adhesive X, basically saying, "You killed my dad. I am going to drop you into this vat, and you are going to die." Uh, however. Cap was rescued by Falcon and Redwing, and during the ensuing scuffle, Helmet was knocked into the vat of Adhesive X. And though Cap and Falcon initially just assumed that he was dead and left, Helmet survived. He was permanently disfigured, but he survived and decided that for the rest of his life, he would be warring against Steve Rogers and would not rest until he put him in the ground. Sometime later, Helmet resurfaced as the new Baron Zemo and began working with Arnim Zola, who was an acquaintance of his father's as well as a pretty high-ranking member of Hydra at this point. They worked on his monster creations, all of his experiments dealing with these just mutations that are just disgusting and gross to look at. But during this time as well, Zemo encountered not just Red Skull, but also his daughter going by the name Mother Superior at this point. This is pre being aged down. It's it's a whole whole can of worms. But after meeting Red Skull and Mother Superior, he started undergoing training with them because he realized as a uh, as a gun-toting rookie, he got lucky his first time and he would need some actual skills to put down the good captain. Thankfully, the Red Skull and his daughter were probably the uh, the foremost authority in trying to take out Cap. So he trained with them and eventually, because Helmet and this is going to be a running gag for Helmet as his life goes along. Helmet betrayed them, but was knocked unconscious by Mother Superior and left for dead. Uh, following this, Zemo clashed with Cap several times, always usually kidnapping those close to him, mostly kind of echoing the plots of Heinrich, his father, where he would kidnap whoever was uh, Cap's teen friend of the week. 
And usually it ended up with them being rescued and him being uh, just able to get away. However, after a certain amount of time, Zemo grew bored of the kidnapping game and decided that he was going to revive an old, uh, an old uh, scheme of his father's, that being the Masters of Evil. Now, we'd seen a couple Masters of Evil teams since Heinrichs uh, kind of imploded that, including, of course, probably the most famous one uh, besides Zemo's Ultron when he put his together. But this new Masters of Evil that uh, Helmet was assembling was much more focused on quantity, not quality. Instead of, like, getting some really heavy hitters, he just focused on accruing a small army of henchmen and villains, including the Wrecking Crew, Absorbing Man, Titania, uh, Goliath, Tiger Shark, and a bunch of others that just were scrubs. But he figured that the Avengers are used to fighting supervillains one at a time or in small groups. But if he collected an entire army of supervillains, they would be overrun. And in Avengers number 275 and 276, they laid siege. They absolutely overran Avengers Mansion, defeated the Avengers, sent them packing, and took over the Avengers base of operations. And this was like big a big deal. This was the first big loss for the Avengers. They had never, you know, been beaten this hard before. Of course, Wasp ended up taking uh, control of the situation and led her Avengers to defeat them once again. But this was a big deal for Zemo, who finally got a major victory and saw that there might just be some some chance that he could have to defeat these people. Uh, following this, he ended up clashing with Cap a few more times, but also married. He uh, married the woman who would be known henceforth as Baroness Heike Zemo, and also established something called the Kinder. Now, the Kinder is really, it's bad. Um, the Kinder is a play on the word Wonderkind, which was the uh, Hitler youth in the 1940s. And essentially, what Zemo and his wife did where they kidnapped 25 children and indoctrinated them into the Hydra uh, ID, into the Hydra ideals, into the Hydra ideologies. And thankfully, of course, um, the Avengers stepped in. They were able to rescue these kids and, you know, deprogram them. But this was a this was an all time low for Helmet. He there was uh, there was not there there was no coming back at this point and. Neither for his wife either. Um, time passed. They clashed. You know, Baron Zemo kept running up against the same problem that he would get something going and then he would be just smacked down again. And eventually, Zemo started to miss his old pals in the Masters of Evil and he reformed a small group of some of the originals that popped up in his army version of the Masters of Evil, including the Beetle, Fixer, and Screaming Mimi to rescue Goliath. Basically seeing this as a sign, as them coming together, he's like, you know what, we could do this. You know, we're, we're able to break out Goliath. We're able to do anything as long as we're all together. I think we should make another run at the Avengers. And just as they were about to do that, Onslaught happened. For those of you who aren't aware, 
Onslaught was an event in the mid-90s, probably one of the most 90s events of all comics. Um, Onslaught was the manifestation of Charles Xavier and Magneto's darkest impulses, blending into one psionic being. And during the climactic battle of the Onslaught saga, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, some of the Earth's mightiest heroes seemingly died to defeat Onslaught. And so, following this, the world was left without a majority of its heroes, with really only Spider-Man and the X-Men kind of picking up the slack of the Avengers of the Fantastic Four. So Zemo got an idea. Helmet thought to himself, maybe, instead of making a new Masters of Evil and just hitting the X-Men and Spider-Man where we know that they'll be... What if we tried a different approach? And so, alongside his Masters of Evil compatriots, Zemo established the Thunderbolts to replace the Fallen Avengers as the Earth's new mightiest heroes. Each of these members took on new identities. Moonstone uh, became the hero Meteorite. Screaming Mimi became Songbird. Goliath became Atlas. The Fixer became Techno. Beetle became Mach 1. And... Helmet Zemo became Citizen V. Now, Citizen V is an interesting character because he has uh, just this uh, identity as Citizen V has ties all the way back to Heinrich Zemo. For you see, the Invaders weren't the only 1940s uh, hero team that was fighting in World War II. There was also something called the V Battalion, led by Citizen V. And during the war, Heinrich Zemo, one of his most notable victories, was brutally murdering that version of Citizen V and basically using his body as a uh, sign to all the other heroes that, hey, we're winning, all is lost for you, just... Be aware of that. And him deciding to take on the Citizen V uh, mantle is such a middle finger to everyone in that in that uh, organization. I love it. Helmet Zemo has no shame. Uh, but basically the idea behind the Thunderbolts was that they would be this new super team that would come in and gain the world's trust so that they could eventually rule it. During this, though, the plan started to unravel. The other members besides Zemo began to kind of enjoy the hero's life, the adoration they were getting, you know, the praise they were getting from the world. They worked with Spider-Man at one point to rousing success. They also ended up befriending a young girl named Jolt, who was, uh, an ex was a young girl who had been experimented on by Arnim Zola. And during this whole story jolt became essentially kind of their rick jones their mascot their snapper car and the rest of the team really started to like the idea of just legit being heroes and during the event heroes reborn the avengers and the fantastic four returned to find the thunderbolts waiting for them and it's at this point that Zemo revealed himself as Citizen V, revealed his plan, and basically said, and now, because we've got the world behind us, we are going to end you, Avengers. However, the Thunderbolts decided against Zemo. 
The Thunderbolts mutinied against Zemo, battled against him, defeated him. But Zemo was was able to escape thanks to Atlas, who seemed to have some kind of um, uh, loyalty. As much as he hated it, he still had a loyalty to Zemo, so he allowed him to escape. Following this, Zemo was on the run. Zemo was in hiding, going from place to place, never staying in one place too long so that he could continue to evade capture. However, during one such time that he was resting, he was hunted down and beheaded by a mind-controlled Jack Monroe. Now, Jack Monroe... I'm not really going to get into him. He's a former Bucky who had a flawed super soldier serum. He's been used by the government on multiple occasions. But here he sliced off Baron Zemo's head. And that should have been the end of Helmet Zemo. But it wasn't. Thanks to the Fixer and a very, uh, I guess, well thought out contingency plan, Baron Zemo upon his death, uploaded his consciousness into a machine that was being uh, controlled by the Fixer. Now, he, using this, uh, using his prior betrayal of Helmet Zemo, as well as some resentment to the idea that Zemo abandoned him, the Fixer decided, okay, you wanted to mess with me? You wanted to upload your your consciousness into my tech? Fine. And he downloads Zemo's body into the comatose body of the actual current Citizen V. He just can't get enough. He really just can't get enough. But uh, upon waking up in this new body, Zemo continued under the guise of Citizen V and took over the uh, government-sanctioned team, the Redeemers, which seemed to be a more government-controlled version of the Thunderbolts, a suicide squad, if you will. And speaking of the suicide squad, very quickly after taking control of this team, the Redeemers were all slaughtered. They were cut down one by one by Graviton, who had been a... I would say more or less an arch enemy of the Thunderbolts during their initial heroic tenure. And Zemo, surprise, surprise, was the only survivor of this battle. Zemo ended up reuniting with his original Thunderbolts teammates and were able to defeat Graviton. However, in the ensuing battle, Zemo's mind was ripped from the body of Citizen V, and his consciousness, along with the uh, remaining Thunderbolts teammates, were sent to Counter-Earth by Graviton. And on Counter-Earth, Zemo got a second lease on life, because this Counter-Earth was essentially the reality that the heroes were sent to, or a copy of it, that the heroes were sent to following the defeat of Onslaught. This is where they recovered, this is where they got their lives back, and where they jumped back from during the Heroes Reborn, Heroes Return event. And when they arrived on this Earth, Baron Zemo had one singular goal in mind. Since his consciousness was now essentially sharing a body with the Fixer, he guided the Fixer to his alternate universe version of himself, the Counter-Earth version of Baron Zemo, and had the Fixer not just brutally murder this guy, but also download Zemo's consciousness into him, 
basically giving him a brand new body while murdering this counter-Earth version of himself. So they decided, hey, we're now on an Earth that doesn't have Avengers, that doesn't have heroes. We could take this place over. And though initially that's what they all set out to do, they found themselves through different circumstances having to rescue people having to save people to make sure that they would able or to make sure that the thunderbolts would be able to rule over them later and as these instances kept happening they started to become more heroic they started to perform more heroic deeds they started to get the idea that maybe just maybe instead of being this world's conquerors they could be the defenders of counter earth And so it was that these characters became heroes, that the Thunderbolts became a true heroic team defending Counter-Earth from threats as well as helping to rebuild from the horrors of of past events on Counter-Earth. However, this heroic time would not last because eventually they encountered a radiation uh, basically being projected by the character Anomaly that threatened to destroy Counter-Earth. Basically, it had opened up this gateway that was slowly pulling both Counter-Earth and Earth together. And when one of them slipped through, one world slipped through the portal, that world would be destroyed. So Zemo said, hey, We love this Earth. We are protectors of this Earth. Let's go through the portal, destroy that Earth, pull that Earth through the portal so that this Earth can live. But the rest of the Thunderbolts decided that it was more important to make sure that both Earths survive. And so, using technology that they had developed, they sacrificed their heroic lives on Counter-Earth, jumped through the portal, and were able to successfully seal it off, preventing the destruction of either Earth, but making it so that they were unable to return to their beloved planet. Following this, Baron Zemo and the rest of his Thunderbolts team were confronted by another Thunderbolts team, this one led by Clint Barton. Hawkeye had taken command of a brand new Thunderbolts team, and though they initially butted heads over the uh, direction of the team and the direction of the Thunderbolts as an idea, Hawkeye eventually relented and gave Zemo leadership of the Thunderbolts as a whole, basically saying that you are going to, you have changed, and I believe that you will do what's necessary to make sure that the world is safe. And boy, oh boy, was he correct, for better and for worse, because Zemo decided that he was going to protect the Earth by any means necessary, doing increasingly morally questionable things to quote-unquote save the day, including the development of the Liberator, which was this device that would drain unnatural and... um, potentially harmful energy being used on the planet so if there was an uptick in like psionic energy or something if there was if it went over a certain parameter that the liberator had designated that energy would be drained and put into the liberator good idea as like a concept on paper but when you have a lot of heroes who are routinely having their powers drained by this uh by the satellite during battles against villains, it became a bit of an issue. 
And because of this, Zemo and his Thunderbolts clashed with the Avengers over the use of the Liberator until the power as a whole from the uh, from the Liberator, all the power that it had, it had collected during its time while active was absorbed and taken control of by Moonstone. Uh, Zemo, seeing the error of his ways, teamed up his Thunderbolts with the Avengers to defeat Moonstone. However, after she was defeated and the energy let out into the universe, Zemo once again escaped, this time deciding that the hero's life was not for him. Following this, Zemo, because he escaped using two of Moonstone's, um, uh, Moonstones, uh, was thrown back in time. He was essentially thrown back decades, if not hundreds and hundreds of years, all the way back to the time of the very first Baron Zemo. And he found himself jumping from generation to generation, being involved in key moments throughout his family's history. This all culminated in a confrontation with Heinrich during World War II. He appeared, the two of them had it out, Zemo finally getting the recognition from his father that he could best him in combat. However, Heinrich Zemo is a hateful person, so he told him even though he had bested him because of all the things that he'd done, all the quote-unquote heroics, he was still a disappointment. Thankfully, uh, Zemo was able to escape before doing too much damage to the timeline and return to present day to discover that he had missed quite a bit. Not only had a brand new heroic age dawned, but he had also missed out on a superhuman civil war. At the conclusion of which, his arch-rival Steve Rogers had been assassinated. Now, initially, this came as a shock to him. He didn't know what to do with himself. He didn't know what to, or how to react, how to, um, how to go on without his main rival. Until it was discovered that Bucky Barnes was going to be the new Captain America. These men hadn't crossed paths with each other since his father decided that he that you know he was going to step in and quote unquote kill Bucky. In the time that Zemo had been away, Bucky had returned. He had returned as the Winter Soldier, had clashed with Steve, had gotten his memories back, and Bucky was getting ready to become the new Captain America. So to continue on the legacy of the Zemo line, having a brand new uh, appreciation for it, as well as needing a sense of purpose for himself, he decided to wage war on Bucky Barnes, starting off by exposing his identity as well as his crimes as the Winter Soldier to the public, which, threw this whole new uh, second lease on life for Bucky into disarray, culminating in a trial for Captain America, which was just... Oh, I love that story. Um, but following this, uh, Zemo continued to clash with Hawkeye, continued to clash with uh, not just Bucky Barnes' Captain America, but later a returning Steve Rogers, as well as one such adventure against both Hulk and Daredevil. 
Zemo got around. Uh, during this time as well, he established a brand new uh, variant of Hydra that was loyal to him. This was really the first time that he really got into bed with Hydra. Um, I know that in a lot of adaptations, he's kind of like, oh, I'm all with Hydra, but this was really the first time that he got, you know, into the weeds, as it were, when it came to Hydra as an organization. Uh, and then everything kind of started to fall into place for him when the Terrigen Mist incident happened during the events of Infinity. Now, the Terrigen Mist is, as you may or may not know, the... Uh, the method in which Inhumans are granted their powers. When Inhumans are born, they are exposed to the Terrigen Mist, and this unlocks their Inhuman gene and gives them their powers. Now, during a battle between Black Bolt, the king of the Inhumans, and Thanos, Black Bolt did some stuff. He detonated a Terrigen Bomb that created a giant mist. Several, I believe. I, I think it was three in total that... Um, blanketed over the earth awakening all sorts of inhumans and baron zemo looked at this and thought to himself this is a prime opportunity to recruit some inhumans into hydra this sounds great i'm going to do this specifically he found himself recruiting an inhuman named lucas whose blood as they came to find out, could be used to sterilize human beings completely. Uh, during, following this, he decided that he was going to use Lucas's blood, drain him of it, and then let it out over the world so that he would sterilize this current generation and he would build a brand new generation loyal to him and loyal to the ideals of Hydra. In this, though, he battled against the brand new Captain America, Sam Wilson, as well as the new nomad, Ian Rogers, the son of Captain America and Sharon Carter. That's a whole nother can of worms we'll get into another time. But in the initial scuffle, Sam Wilson was captured and Baron Zemo seemingly murdered Ian Rogers, slitting his throat in front of Sam, taking pictures and sending them to the now depowered Steve Rogers. He was eventually defeated by Cap and by Sam Wilson, and surprisingly enough, was tracked down to a Hydra base by the alive Ian Rogers, who was not about to let him go. And in the final moments of the story, after uh, Ian had immobilized him by throwing his sword into his back, the two of them shared one last, you know, big middle finger to each other before the base itself exploded, leaving the fates of both men up in the air. As we came to find out, though, Baron Zemo was found following the events of this explosion. Of course he survived the explosion. This man will not go away. And he was captured by S.H.I.E.L.D., and subsequently was imprisoned in a brand new prison facility known as Pleasant Hill. Now, what is Pleasant Hill, you may ask? Well, if you're asking that, you may you must not have listened to our Tale of Two Captains episode. Go back to the archives, check it out. It's great, one of my favorites. But to save you a little bit of time, Pleasant Hill was this community. To all outside appearances, it's this very, you know, 50s white picket fence style suburban community with all of these nice happy-go-lucky people living just really strange lives it's very much the same as um 
what you would consider like a Stepford situation or even in WandaVision, you know, the uh, the Westview. It was very similar in that in more ways than one because the inhabitants of this Pleasant Hill community were in fact imprisoned supervillains. These supervillains had had much like... This is very similar. Much like uh, the members of Westview had had their realities rewritten by Kobik, who was a sentient piece of the Cosmic Cube. This uh, Cosmic Cube piece had become sentient and projected itself as a little girl, and she was being used by S.H.I.E.L.D. to rewrite the personal history of the supervillains, place them into this neighborhood, and have them be productive members of this weird prison community it's odd it's it's so many human rights violations but uh zemo specifically was turned into a man named jim and jim was a just a normal guy until he was found by another member of the community and his Memories were revealed to him in this little bunker underground shed thing, and it was revealed that this man was in fact the Fixer, who had found Zemo and basically endeavored to get his old buddy up and running again. But instead of breaking out, Zemo decided that they were going to use this to their advantage. And over the course of, I believe it was months Zemo and the Fixer began to slowly awaken the members of Pleasant Hill, keeping them under the guise of these, you know, uh, ordinary civilians, but retaining their memories as supervillains, and essentially accruing an army of inmates, which culminated in a full-scale riot and assault on Pleasant Hill, completely just wiping out their guards and causing much damage to the neighborhood all in the effort to free the rest of the prisoners and capture Kobik. Zemo's plan was of course to use Kobik to rewrite reality in so that he would be in power and in so that the world would be under the flag of Hydra and of course under Zemo. However, he was defeated by a renewed Steve Rogers who had been uh, revitalized by Kobik, and he was relocated with Dr. Selvig, who had been essentially Kobik's handler, into the Himalayas. Right as they were about to be apprehended, Kobik just whisked them away and basically didn't give them a way back. So, after this... Zemo took charge of Selvig, who seemed to be just an ordinary scientist who was being uh, basically toted around by Zemo, more or less. And unbeknownst to Zemo, unbeknownst to many people, Kobik's whole deal wasn't as cut and dry as people thought. You see, Kobik, during her time as, you know, as this sentient cosmic cube began to appear in different places. And one of those places happened to be in front of the Red Skull, who, while she was being, you know, developed and um, looked after by S.H.I.E.L.D., was at the same time being indoctrinated by the Red Skull in all of the uh, ideals and... um, priorities of hydra so kobik became this hydra 
you know, operative, basically indoctrinated by bedtime stories and all of the things that you would do to teach your child hurtful and hateful things. And Kobik's entire deal with um, revitalizing Steve was changing something, just one thing, just fundamentally changing one single thing. And this one single thing would come to light very quickly for Baron Zemo. Because Baron Zemo, with uh, Eric Selvig in tow, traveled following the events of Pleasant Hill to Begalia to essentially revive the Masters of Evil. He was like, okay, all of this stuff didn't work. I need to go back to my roots. I need to go back to what I know. And what I know is the Masters of Evil. So he goes there, and unfortunately, he is ambushed once again by Steve Rogers, along with uh, several allies. And is, surprisingly enough, captured by Captain America, who fakes the deaths of Eric Selvig and Baron Zemo, and utters two fateful words that would change the course of Helmet's life. Hail Hydra. Zemo is kept in a bunker, completely shut off from everybody except Eric Selvig and Steve Rogers. And Steve Rogers reveals that he has been a Hydra sleeper agent the entire time. Of course, we know as readers that this isn't necessarily true because we know that Kobik, in so making this one small change, shout out to Nando V Movies, basically decided that Steve Rogers' entire life would have one quick shift, and that was that he became indoctrinated as a member of the Hydra Youth. Very early on, like I said, if you want the full story, go back in the archives, go to the A Tale of Two Captains episode. It's giant-sized, it goes through the entire story. I love it so much, go check it out. But the important part for Zemo is that in this new history, in this new reality that Steve believed himself to be from, he and Zemo were childhood friends. Him and Helmet grew up together. And the more that he told Helmet these stories, the more Zemo began to believe them. He began to believe that the reality where they had been lifelong enemies was a lie, thought up by the Allies, and created artificially by those who would seek to erase the proper timeline where Hydra won the war and he and Steve were the best of friends. And so he decided to help Cap and his very first uh, his very first mission in helping Steve Rogers establish his secret empire was to take a rogue element off the board. That rogue element being... Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier who had thwarted him time and time again and who Helmut Zemo had a deep hatred for. And so, echoing the plot by his father way back in World War II, after defeating and capturing Bucky, he strapped him to a rocket, sent him off into the middle of the ocean, and detonated that rocket, seemingly killing the Winter Soldier and ultimately proving his loyalty to Steve Rogers and to Hydra. However, as we know, the uh, events of Secret Empire happened. Zemo enjoyed a bit of time in the spotlight as the second-in-command for Steve, but ultimately, he, the Hydra Supreme, Hydra Cap, Steve Rogers, Steve-el, 
uh, was defeated by the returning good Steve Rogers, and everyone went back into hiding. Following the events of Secret Empire, Baron Zemo initially staged a breakout for Hydra Cap, but was thwarted by the Punisher, who was seeking to wipe out Hydra for essentially um, more or less manipulating him into joining their side during the events of Secret Empire. And because of this, because of his failed uh, prison break attempt, Baron Zemo decided that now that there was no Winter Soldier, he would wage war on Frank Castle and also decided that to do so, he needed some help. So he allied himself with the mayor of New York, Wilson Fisk, to recreate the Thunderbolts and to brand Frank Castle as an international criminal so that he would be seen as a hero when he went after Punisher to kill him. However... Following the establishment of this new Thunderbolts team, Zemo was seemingly killed by a member of that team because Wilson Fisk had decided that he no longer needed him. Of course, it wasn't what happened. Zemo survived because that's just what Zemo does. Zemo survives. And Zemo had faked his death utilizing the team member that uh, was supposedly his assassin, and went into hiding, back into hiding to rebuild a brand new Hydra with all of his past experiences behind him with this belief in his mind that the Hydra cap reality was the real reality. Zemo endeavored to make a brand new Hydra that he could rule over. However, during this time in exile, in hiding, rebuilding Hydra, he began to hear whispers of someone challenging his uh, his claim as the Hydra Supreme. This would, of course, end up being an, a, uh, a former S.H.I.E.L.D. operative known as Veronica Eden, also someone who worked closely with a returned Bucky Barnes, who, of course, survived the... the uh, the assassination attempt by Zemo. And because of this, Zemo recruited a young boy named The Natural and endeavored to make him a fitting Hydra Supreme that he could control so that he would be in the shadows. This guy, this kid, would be able to kill anyone who opposed them. And of course, all did not go, go according to plan because Sam Wilson... Bucky Barnes, back at it again, fighting against Zemo, fought against Veronica Eaton, defeated the natural, and at the end of this most recent blunder, this most recent um, failed plot, Zemo once again escaped because he always does, utilizing a jetpack to get away, promising that this would not be the last time that he, Sam Wilson, and Bucky Barnes crossed paths. And that is basically where Baron Zemo is today. Uh, we haven't gotten a big development for him since the events of the Falcon and Winter Soldier miniseries, and it's just a matter of time before he pops up again, whether it's with a new uh, Masters of Evil, a new Thunderbolts team, or trying to rebuild Hydra. Baron Zemo is the guy who just does not go away. But 
I do want to give real quick as we're wrapping up here some recommended reading for you to check out if you want to uh, read more about Zemo. Of course, I do recommend, of course, watching uh, Captain America Civil War as well as the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. Both of those are incredible. They're amazing. They represent some of the best of the MCU. But when it comes to comics, uh, there are some that I have here. This character has a long history, so... What I normally have is I normally have like five recommended readings, but here I think I have nine. Forgive me for enjoying Baron Zemo. I like personally. I personally like Baron Zemo as a as an arch rival to Steve way more than the Red Skull. I just do. I've always been fascinated by him. Um, I think his whole deal is super cool his history as convoluted as it is is super fascinating to me always has been and these are some of the best stories that i think you should check out uh, i i just want to get out of the way avengers number six by stanley and jack kirby this is heinrich zemo's debut as well as his first stint with the masters of evil uh avengers 275 and 276 by roger stern and sal buscema uh this is helmet zemo's masters of evil debut this is the big you know defeat of the avengers at avengers mansion i also want to recommend thunderbolts classic volumes one and two which is the original thunderbolts run with Baron Zemo at the helm. Also, uh, issues uh, 62 through 75 of the Thunderbolts is the Counter-Earth run, where uh, Zemo and his version of the Thunderbolts are being heroes on Counter-Earth, while Hawkeye and his version of the Thunderbolts are trying to figure out what the hell they want to do. I also recommend Thunderbolts Presents Zemo Born Better, which is the Zemo time-traveling shenanigans. It's, I believe, a four- or five-issue miniseries just again depicting him going through his family line it's fascinating it's a fun book uh it's not i would say you know the best but it's an awesome story for zemo and really informs his character development and the direction that he goes in uh for all of the modern stories post civil post the initial civil war comic event uh also captain america no escape by ed brubaker and butch geese this is zemo versus bucky cap this is him exposing uh, Bucky Barnes as the Winter Soldier and waging war on the new Captain America. Also, all-new Captain America by Rick Remender and Stuart Immonen. Uh, This is Zemo versus uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America. His first, Sam Wilson's first outing as Captain America features him going up against Baron Zemo. What more could you want? I also recommend Avengers Standoff, which is the uh, Pleasant Hill incident involving Zemo and Kobik and all that stuff. And of course, Captain America, Steve Rogers and secret empire. Enough said, you know, I just explained how integral he is to that story. He is somebody who I always come back to when you think about your top, you know, Marvel villains. Baron Zemo has been around for a very, 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 very long time. And if his long standing comic book history is, you know, in any indication, he's not going away anytime soon. It is a masterpiece, James. Complete, comprehensive. It captures the African American experience. It is.
It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing episode number three of Falcon and the Winter Soldier entitled Power Broker. And I have, of course, joined by the man who will never move his seat up for me, Malcolm Russell Nelson. How are you, man? I'm good. I never have to move my seat up for you because I would let you sit in the front seat all the time. And I'm a, I'm a backseat kind of guy. <laughs> so what did you think? it's really the other way around. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Uh, what did you think of the episode, man? Uh, I loved it, man. Uh, the show, we're halfway through and it's crushing it. It's, it's crushing so, it for me. So, so you? Good. Yeah, man, I really, really dug it. Um, it it didn't like it didn't come with as many feels as last week, um, which I think it would have been a tall order if they were gonna even attempt to do that. Yeah. But this week's episode was really good. Like it had action, yeah. had thrills, had intrigue, and we got our big boy, our big boy Baron Zemo. So um, yeah, Hell let's yeah. just let's just Hell get into yeah. it. Um, the episode starts off, I think, in a very interesting place. It's a little, um, little uh, promo ad for the Global Repatriation Council, which is yes. basically the governing body that is trying to get the people who were blipped out back into society, I guess. Um, which I like, I didn't really think about it, but watching it's complete sense, yeah. Watching the, the promo, I was like, yeah this would be a problem yeah like people's social security like jobs yeah. like citizenship like all mm -hmm. of that stuff would have to be handled and it's interesting mm -hmm. to me that they are weaving that through because i know that this is going to go somewhere they've already yeah. like utilized it in the first episode when they were talking about like sam's missing income for the last five years yep. and stuff like mm -hmm. that so I'm i love that this see. is the show that is this this is the one that you felt the effect the most. Yes. It's been touched on in other stuff, you know, but like this, this is the show where you, you really feel that the most of like, Oh, that was a global crisis. Yeah. That half the people on the planet just came back to life. Suddenly is a global crisis. Like, that's insane. Yeah. And we saw like, we saw in Endgame like kind of the aftermath of that happening. We saw yeah. like the empty fields, the empty cars, mm -hmm. like all this stuff, but yeah. it's, Interesting, and I, I would be interested to know what your thoughts are on which would be the bigger crisis, everyone disappearing or everyone coming back? Everyone coming back. That's the bigger crisis for sure. Everyone disappearing, like there's, I mean, that's a huge power gap, but mm -hmm. like, and I guess we have the benefit of time and that after everyone snapped, we we have five years later and we see, okay, well, things are back to, you know, like that, that's, that puts the world in a better place. There's, there's a line in the movie where they talk about like whales being back in the Hudson, you know, because yeah. naturally like with half the population gone from the planet, that's half the people gone. And so that's a lot less pollution and that's a lot less like ecological problems, you know, that yeah. are being put on the earth. So the earth as a planet could survive again. And then to bounce back in a matter of three minutes <laughs> where it's Oof. loaded with people again, you know, who knows how many people were born in that five years as well. You know, like, I mean, it, it, it's not even a full, like fair split of half the people just came back. It's, it's overpopulating the world again. Yeah, <laughs> that's man. terrifying. Like it's that's wild. a really scary scenario. For sure. Because <laughs> at that point, like, 
you know, give or take five years, like you get into a sense of normalcy. Like it's strange and yeah. it's tragic, but like you get to a sense of exactly. Like, okay, we know what materials we have. We know what resources we have. And then all of a sudden you have to compensate for twice the amount of people. So that's, it's interesting to me. But before we get into like the big crux of the episode, I want to touch on something that I think, you know, didn't get a whole lot of play this episode, unlike last episode, which is Captain America and Battlestar. Walker and Hoskins are on mm -hmm. the for these flag smashers and they show mm -hmm. up to the little, um, the little place outside of Munich that uh, Carly and the rest of Flag Smashers were at last week. And they are just yeah. running through this place. Yep. And there is a moment where, <laughs> you know, the guy is just like, yes. you know, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. He spits in Walker's face and it, Walker grabs this guy, shoves him up against a pillar. He's like, do you know who I am? And that's again, yeah. like we knew this kind of instability was coming, but yeah, directly after that we get this moment where he's like standing outside of the building and there's that weird like whoop 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 uh -huh. effect on him uh -huh. and i'm starting to wonder if maybe they already juiced him up with something what do you think that's a really good question i hadn't thought about it until i saw that and i was like oh, i wonder if maybe he's already got a little something in him uh <laughs> you know that's that's interesting um yeah i i don't know and if if not I mean, this this could just be, you know, this is John and how he is. You know, he's he's a man living on the edge at all times. But once they put something in him, then he's going to be really scary. Yeah. <laughs> That'll just, be it's very just, bad. It's bad news. Because even even yeah. uh, Lamar, even Battlestar was like, dude, like, yeah. I, I love Ill. Lamar. He's so great. Seconds. Yeah. <laughs> their, their whole dynamic is amazing. And like, their dynamic I, is amazing. As much as I love, like, Sam and Bucky's whole thing that's going on. Like, I am keyed in to what's going on with them, and I want to get, yeah. I want to see more of them every single time. Yeah. Did you, now, uh, did you order the action figure? The Marvel Legends John Walker? Me, me too. I'm excited that's, to get that's, it. That's, pretty, I, that's the first I time I've used getting... Walmart's website yep. ever. Absolutely. I, I saw it was in the box that like that he, he signs signed. in the episode. I was like, well, I gotta get it. Was it. Like, like, well, that's I have worth to get it just it. for that. Yeah, it's never leaving the box. Like, that's, no, that's gonna be that mint condition. Yeah, that's the one that stays in the box. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> you can go next to my end game cap. Like, exactly. That's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was very like, as soon as I saw that pop up, the interchangeable head, like they got. The yeah. Head, I was like, I am spending money on this. Yeah. Yeah. There's no Damn way. It. There's no way I couldn't. It's fine. <laughs> And I, I want to like mention something too, like, um, cause I watch for listeners, I watch this episode twice every week. I watch it to get prepped to have my, uh, my weekly ritual with Malcolm. And then I get to watch it with my partner later that night. Sammy hates him <laughs> every time she sees him. Like last episode, she was like, ugh. <laughs> like she hates this guy and i'm so happy because she has no context for john walker or you that's really funny so i am just i'm loving every single bit of that but yeah that's his, amazing his scenes in this episode were um way menacing super menacing like super scared back from last episode but he yeah. does catch up later on because you get the sense that like he gets the idea to go to zemo as well mm -hmm. just way behind mm -hmm. bucky and just sam. behind bucky and sam yeah so when they he's show playing up, catch up 
they're like, damn it. Damn it. He's gone. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and then they get that clue. That's like, oh, they were here right before he was gone. Like mm-hmm. Lamar's just like, they wouldn't. They wouldn't you, you don't think they actually broke him out though. Right. Like, <laughs> But yeah, I am very excited to see whenever they catch up, but yeah. Um, and then the other bit, from here was uh the flag smashers flag smashers going from place to place i think it said that they were in a um in one of the i i don't know the right name for them but it's it's basically just like a refugee camp for the displaced individuals that came back from from the blip and it's interesting because i thought when um when she went to visit the woman who was in the cot yeah she was one of the flag smashers and that maybe they were having that adverse effect from the from the serum because Ah. in the comics all attempts to make a serum like steve's are do not work the same way yeah right but then they said that no she was actually a member of the camp that carly may have Mm -hmm. been super close to that had tuberculosis so that was a little unclear for me but i Uh, yeah mama donia yes i liked getting to see that i liked getting to see them because they are working very hard to make carly and her flag smashers sympathetic i mean and to be honest like you know they're they're not wrong that's kind of what i love about the show so far is that like the bad guys aren't necessarily wrong at this point you know they they haven't done anything wrong i mean walker is honestly not wrong at this point he's a little bit of a loose cannon but but he's honestly like he's not a bad person yet. Uh, same with the Flag Smashers. They're not bad people. They're honestly on the writer side of things. Like, <laughs> At least until they blow know. a car with until people inside they blow the building. Up a car with Carly, people inside a building. Yes. Carly took a turn. And I think, yes, I mean, we could probably attribute that to her friend dying. But like the moment where she's just like, they're going to the car and he's like, you're not driving your car. She's like, no. And she gets to the car. She's like, put your seatbelt on. He's like, what? And then boom, the car like, put your seatbelt right now. And it, yeah. Cause I thought, cause I saw them when they, um, they took the supplies and they tied up the guys. I'm like, okay, so they are very clearly not trying to hurt anyone. They are like, they're getting people mm-hmm. out of their way, but they're not like trying to kill anybody. And yeah. then she blows up the car and her yeah. buddy's very clearly like, Duh, I thought you no. said you wanted to be a teacher. Like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> and then like she's just like, you know, th- this is the only language they, you know, they understand. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you, I, I get it, but I feel like they understand other languages as well. Uh, yeah, they're exactly. a global organization. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I, I really liked the moment where you know you see them all tied up and she's walking out and the guy's like, oh, like what are you doing? She's like, you guys had enough supplies for six months here. And you were just yeah. sitting on it. We're giving these to the people who need them. Like, I, I love that. I think that's really amazing. And then, yeah, she totally ruins it by being a terrorist. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Which is I, a real bummer. Yeah. And, and I can only assume we're going to see more stuff like that. We're going to get mm-hmm. more. It's going to get grander and grander until, like, the Flag Smashers do cross paths with everybody again. And that's yes. going to be interesting. Yes. The main, the main crux of this episode was... Zemo and Bucky go into Zemo. And Zemo. They had what I can only what I can only describe as the perfect intro scene to seeing Bucky and Zemo in the same room again. Because uh-huh. he tells Sam like, "Hey, I'm gonna go in here alone," and Sam's like, 
no no you're not you're he's like boy. listen yeah. you're an avenger you know how he reacts to people like you he's fascinated with hydra he thinks i'm kind of great like yeah. don't worry about it like he kind of looks up to me as a person like don't worry about it i got this and then he <laughs> walks into that room into complete darkness and you just hear god rusted rusted logging and i'm <laughs> like you <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> like and <laughs> i and I loved how Bucky's just like, yeah, it doesn't work on me anymore. And Zemo's like, huh. like, I know. I just wanted to see how you would react to the words. <laughs> like, what a dick. Like, he's in full on Hannibal Lecter mode in this. Yeah. And the two, the thing that got me was like, when they have that conversation, there is a moment where like the Winter Soldier theme kicks on again. And mm -hmm. I get chills anytime that like, that slow, like, oh like comes it's, into the background later later when the yes. music fully kicks in when bucky's oh, beating the crap God. out of those guys i was like fist pumping the air because i was like oh I was like, yes ah. that theme henry jackman henry jackman henry jackman like, he is so yeah. he's doing the lord's work and he's crushing it man like when they decide when you know bucky comes to sam and he's just like hey uh, we need to break this guy out and they're like standing <laughs> in this garage um, and sam's just like this is a terrible idea. Why? Why are we breaking him out? I we can't do this. And then they turn, and Zemo's like, "Hello." Like, it's the it's the it's the Bucky explaining the plan. Like, hey, can yeah. I can I explain something to you? There's a lot of variables and things, right? And he's explaining the whole thing of how this could happen while we're seeing how it actually, actually happens. <laughs> and Sam keeps interjecting, like, you're being really calm about this. Wait, what's going on? What are you trying to tell me? <laughs> he's like, this is oddly, like, this is an oddly specific plan. It's almost like you've already... <laughs> like, what happened? Wait, why is he here? <laughs> yeah. And I just, I love how, like, they're arguing back and forth and Zemo's like, yes, I'm actually invaluable to this. And they're both like, shut up. Yeah. No, Shut up. Stop. <laughs> like, it's him saying apologies to him looking like really sheep and be like, apologies. <laughs> their dynamic so is amazing. They are quite literally the three best friends that anyone could have. They like, are. And they know, shouldn't be, but they are. I know everyone wants to have Steve, Bucky, and Sam palling around, but give but me honestly, the rest of this show with the three of them. Yeah. You've got me. I love that Zemo isn't a bad guy in this. Not yet. Not yet. But I love I love that they haven't gotten there with him yet. Of like he's yeah. even when you think like, oh, okay, this is the moment where he's gonna turn on them, he still comes back and saves them at the end. Like yeah, I love that. Man. They're, and it's Daniel because Brule they have a similar treasure. mission. Yes. Oh yeah. Daniel Brule rocks. Like he's he's an amazing actor. He's always been great. But he is so and I mean, I've talked about it before. Civil War is my favorite MCU movie. I think he's my favorite MCU villain purely because I don't count Killmonger as a villain. He is an antagonist of that movie, but he is not Fair. a villain. Uh, but I think that Zemo is like the best MCU movie villain because he wins, yeah. which is awesome. Like he completely wins and, and it he doesn't get revenge or any his first appearance too. So that puts <laughs> exactly. him in a very slim margin. Yeah, yeah. It's Marvel just like villains. him and Thanos. They're the only two. <laughs> and, uh, and Vulture, I guess, too. That's true. And Vulture. Vulture is my second favorite. So yeah. that works. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Does. Um... But yeah, but like, yeah I, seeing... I think he's crushing it. He's so good. He's so interesting. And he's he's playing on things that they didn't establish in Civil War. Like in Civil mm -hmm. War, it seemed very much like he's just, he's a, he's a military guy. He's a military yeah. guy who knows his stuff. And in this, they get into the fact that he comes he from is a, a wealthy family. He is a baron. Yeah. 
And like I you love see that. his like his butler, they go to this hangar with all these cars, and the mm-hmm. moment that he's like he's getting stuff out, and oh he my opens god, the car door, and there's the and mask. he stares at the mask and then grabs it very suddenly and puts it in the bag as he resumes talking to them is so good because I was like, oh, something's coming, something's coming. <laughs> oh yeah, like I I was, waited I all my life to see this. <laughs> everything about this and his interaction with I'm just gonna call him Alfred. Um, yeah, like just the two of them like being like old friends and him just it was amazing it's it's a great mirroring of the scene from batman begins when uh when bruce rolls up and alfred is there with the jet like it's a great reflection of that moment but it's a quote bad guy reflection of it (laughs) as soon as i saw the tarmac i was like oh this is like batman begins (laughs) (laughs) but yeah they they have this weird um this really compelling dynamic do zemo bucky and sam like yeah the the scene of them on the plane i loved every minute of that oh that is it's when, gripping because it's very suspenseful yeah, and then it just happens. becomes a very a very honest conversation like a yeah. very frank honest conversation which i think is wonderful and, and, they, and then but you still up get zemo man. up to his tricks i love bringing back trouble man like that's so great it's just like did you listen to it <laughs> When Zemo goes, it's actually it's a very a good representation James. of, you know, the, <laughs> of black the African-American experience. experience. <laughs> and everyone just kind of looks at him. Sam being like, he's out of line, but he is right. Like, how did you not like it? Everyone likes Marvin Gaye. <laughs> and Bucky's just like, I like 1940s music. <laughs> like, so you didn't like it? He's like, I did. I liked it. Like, it's, and it's like that, Steve it's classic, adored Marvin Gaye. <laughs> it's that classic conversation of like you have like your buddy who you're trying to like share something with, and he's like, "It's good." It's good. Yeah, it's exactly. And you're like, exactly. "What do you mean it was fine? It's amazing." <laughs> like we've all been there. We've all had that. Yeah. And it's like everyone has tried to tell somebody like Cyclops is the best X-Man. Like we've all had that conversation. Which is absolutely true. Cyclops is the best X-Man. You're absolutely right. You You went on that rant in last week's episode and I'm 100% with you. I was listening to that while I was walking (laughs) and I was literally just like, yes, yes. Cyclops is the best X-Man. I will. He's the only (laughs) X-Man. He is the X-Man. He is the X-Man. Anyway, but back on point. Speaking of X-Men, we go to Madripoor. We go to Madripoor. Something I never thought I would see is Madripoor in the live action. And not only Madripoor, but like it's it's scummy, it's gross, but it's also pretty hot. It is comics (laughs) accurate Madripoor. Everything that you expected from Madripoor. The theme is like trap music, and I love it. (laughs) Honestly, it reminded me a lot of the um the Korea scenes from uh Black Panther Mm -hmm. where they they go. It felt very much like that. It felt like a world. Yeah, it felt lived in, which mm-hmm. I love. And it's how Madripoor should feel. Like, this is the worst place to go in the world. But it's also, if you're on the run, the best place to go. Yes. A quick sidebar of uh, credit, I think, goes to Derek Kolstad, mm. uh, who wrote this episode. Uh, and Derek Kolstad is responsible for writing the John Wick films. Oh, that's awesome. This episode looked and felt like a John Wick film, but especially that sequence, like yes. all the stuff in Madripoor felt like a John Wick. It felt like John Wick chapter two, uh, like as far as world building, like with every like movement of people, like there's world behind them, which is awesome. Like I, I loved it. And they really fed into that too. Like with the, um, 
with the uh the coloring the color grading mm -hmm. like yes. all of the palettes like it felt very because yes. john wick especially in chapter two and chapter three like yeah really leaned into that kind of the purple neons mm -hmm. like, yes yeah. and i really dug that but yeah like, so they go and we find out that the power broker is running things in madripoor in madripoor yeah I'm very interested to see who they actually have playing the power broker. I'm really, really curious because you, it, they're holding on to it for a while and it's got to uh -huh. be something big. So I'm, uh -huh. I'm very excited. But yeah, they go in and to get into Magipur, Zemo has them in deep undercover. Uh -huh. You know, Bucky is back into Winter Soldier mode and we have Sam Wilson playing conrad <laughs> mac the smiling oh God, the, tiger the smiling tiger i love it <laughs> i was kind of i i know that they weren't gonna do it but i was kind of hoping they were gonna have him be snap wilson i thought he was gonna be snap wilson i really thought that's what they were gonna go with and i was as soon as i saw him in the clothes i was like are they gonna snap wilson yeah. that is a bold move right <laughs> but like they decided to go this direction and i was i was yeah. completely fine with that but the the thing that got me wasn't you already mentioned it like the bucky throwdown scene the bucky throwdown scene and how anyone who has been upset because i know a few people who are not happy that uh steve passed the shield over to sam mm -hmm. and that think that it should have been bucky that scene right there proves it should not be bucky because exactly. <laughs> he is still working through stuff <laughs> well and the thing that like kind of surprised me was that like the winter soldier is supposed to be this myth the winter soldier is supposed mm -hmm. to be this like he is this like boogeyman he's a ghost to john wick yeah who just like yes. appears, kills people and leaves but like when he enters into that bar everyone knows, knows him and yeah i was very taken aback by that i was like wait a second what i i i like the idea of that though i think that still works with a myth Absolutely. Uh, it's just it, he's instead of the one-armed man if you will he's the one metal armed man so yeah. if you see one guy with like i love that distinctly like the winter soldier costume can't have that left sleeve because he has to have the metal <laughs> arm out that's because everyone has to see that and be like oh my god that's the winter soldier like yeah. that's how people recognize him is the metal arm i think yeah, that's I mean, one they, they even reference like oh you got a haircut like but you got a haircut yeah yeah and and it honestly like it does kind of bring him a bit closer to his comics counterpart because yes. in the comics like he was he wasn't frozen so much as like he was essentially given stuff to elongate his lifespan mm -hmm. and yeah. so he was like he had some deep ties and lives that he lived and i yeah. i really enjoy that aspect of it but yeah when he throws down and we it's get the awesome. winter soldier theme he's just whipping people around you could very oh, much tell this oh my is a john God. wick like yes yes john wick parallel yes it felt very much like the uh the the library fight in john wick 3 yes. <laughs> yes. which is the coolest fight but it felt so a good. lot like that of just like use your environment like use the people to knock into other people like just yeah. thrash like he, he's so scary <laughs> Oh, dude that's why he's he's like he's legitimately terrified but like when the yeah. guy tried to roll over the table he kicks the leg under the table to oh drop him, grabs his leg and throws him into another guy so dope Chef's kiss. like <laughs> so cool. holy shit but yeah, yeah so best so, guy so this was basically to be like hey we're we mean business we need to meet with selby who mm -hmm. is one of what seems like to be power brokers lieutenants she meets with them zemo like immediately offers up bucky He's i like, yeah. love that bit you give of him like playing with his face like Ugh, he'll do anything God. you want and he's playing with his 
question. I love it. I love how hard they leaned it. Because before they get to Madripoor, Zemo reiterates like a couple of times, like, we have to stay in character. Like, if we do not, we will die. Like, you guys have to stay in character. Stick to the script. And so I love him pushing that constantly, like making having Sam like drink the drink with the snake (laughs) like sacks in it you know like and be like "Mm, smiling tiger your favorite you know like constantly leaning into it i love that because that's a way for him to like feel them out and see like okay how committed are they to this do i need to ditch these losers and he's like no i could kind of hang with them (laughs) and it's also like it's also you know zemo kind of exerting power over them because he's like you guys have to follow my lead you have to do what i say it is and very Baron Zemo. It like is, it is one hundred percent Baron Zemo. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, oh, I'm God. so good. But the other character that we meet <sighs> in Madripoor is Sharon Carter. Sharon reappears. Uh huh. And she Sharon is comes and saves their up. butts. Yeah. Yes. She yeah. Is. So Sharon is Sharon. Sharon's she. She's a hustler now. Yeah, she hustles man. art. Like she's just become a criminal, which I think is amazing. She's, <laughs> she's way more compelling than she was in Winter Soldier and Civil War. Like yeah, I yeah I I love the I love her like ribbing them and Bucky being like oh she's awful now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I hate her now. Like yeah, and it was so cool. This like you know, great. she got a personality. Get... And it was it was cool to like actually see consequences because yeah. like I, a lot of people have talked about like ad nauseum about like how there's no consequences in these MCU movies, but like there may not be consequences for the people on high, but like the normal people like Sharon, yeah. like she had to give up her entire life because she helped them out once in twice. She she has had to give up her entire life twice. Yes, because she lost Shield, <laughs> which yep. was her entire life. And then she lost her CIA gig because she helped him out. She has given up a lot just for superheroes. I love her her talking to Sam, be like, you know, the whole hero thing is bullshit, right? Like, yeah. it, it just, it's just not real. Like, come on, you got to realize this. And, and Zemo being like, no, he realizes it. Not even that deep down. <laughs> <laughs> just the running Zemo commentary in this show. So good. Mm, trouble. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and then we get this great sequence because they um, they get info from Selby that a Dr. Wilfred Nagel is the one who is behind the producing of this second strain of uh, Super Soldier Serum. And they right before this... Selby is killed. Yes, and we still don't know by who. And we don't know by who. Um, I can only assume it's one of the Power Brokers people, but we don't know for sure. No mm. idea. But I am very interested to see... I have a theory. We'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so they uh they go and visit Wolfred Nagel, and I disliked this guy immediately. Like he Oh, is he's super sketchy. Super sketch. And there's a moment when yeah. he's talking about the the serum and he mentions like, yeah, he mentions the the American test subject, referencing uh-huh. Isaiah Bradley. And I was like, uh-huh. you son of a bitch, he has a name. I hate you so much. You are awful. You're an awful person. I clenched my fist so much when he said that. I clenched my oh. fist so hard. And I was, Screw I, that was guy. I was okay when Zemo shot him and shot him in the face. Yep. It was again mm-hmm. that Zemo wild card, but like, mm-hmm. but again, not a bad call. No, no, <laughs> Honestly, because this guy's awful. not a bad call. And they got yeah. all the info they need out of him. Exactly. And now he can never make the serum again. Like, exactly. Honestly, 
Zemo making the right choices. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't no. that crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Zemo is the voice of reason somehow. Zemo is the voice of reason somehow. Isn't that crazy? Oh, God. No. But yeah. And then, what a thing. Meanwhile, while this is all going on, like Sharon, it's basically Sharon versus the world out in the actual shipyard. I love it. Down with these guys. And that is the other most John Wick scene in this whole yes. thing. Because I felt very John Wick. Her like stabbing the guy with the knife and then tossing it into the other guy's arm so good so good like she sharon's a badass now which is awesome yeah and i was i was initially a little um i was initially a little sad that she just kind of like let them drive off she's like you go do your thing get me my pardon because i want to see more of her but i think there's something bigger going on with her because she meets with somebody afterwards she's like we have a problem and she like gets in the car and they drive away. So I thought that was so, very interesting. Let's get to this. I think she killed Selby. You think so? Yeah. I I think she killed Selby. I think she might be working with the power broker. Mm. Wouldn't it be messed up? If it's she it's was interesting the power because broker? when they I at first I thought maybe she is the power broker, which would be really interesting. Um, but I mean they you know, Zemo mentions when they get to Madripoor, okay, there's Lowtown and there's Hightown. Lowtown is what we're going to want because that's, you know, the, the easier place for us to hide. Right. And Sam says, and I'm sure we have no friends in Hightown. And Zemo's like, no, we definitely don't. And Sharon lives in Hightown. Yes. Like, <laughs> when, when she picks them up, she's like, well, I got a place in Hightown that we can go to. Which is just clever, like, screenwriting and, like, set up and take down. Sure. But I think there's a reason why she lives in Hightown. Mm. I think she's in the power broker's pocket. Yeah, that's... That would be interesting. And it would also... If she's happen. not the power broker. Because she could just be the power broker, which would be awesome. It would be super cool. Like, they... Because yeah. they keep referring to the power broker as, like, him. Or he... Or he's angry mm-hmm. or whatever. But it would be mm-hmm. cool if it's just, like, a patsy that she's, like... Yeah. But... Yeah. Yeah, so they they get a lead. They are heading out. And they... um They're basically trying to make their way to their next destination when Bucky kind of, he sees this little thing. And at first I didn't recognize it. And he starts like picking uh-huh. up a trail going down this like little side. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, I wonder when uh-huh. you show up. And he turns around and there's Io from the Dora Milaje. Like. Uh-huh. Unreal. That blew my mind. Same. When I saw the beat, I was like, Oh, that looks familiar. Why do I know what that is? And he's like jiggling them. And I was like, I know what the wait, wait. And she says, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, what? and she says, like, I love I'm that. here for Zemo. Like, oh yeah. my god. Like, I am so into this show. It is kicking so yeah, hard. it's great. Yeah, man, it's yeah. it's crazy good. Like, I am we're halfway through. We have three more episodes to go, and I still have no idea what's going to happen. Like this. That's the thing. I don't know where it's going to go. Like, and we're getting like some serious cameos here. Sharon Carter in this episode. Now we're going to get a Dora Milaje episode next time. Like, mm-hmm. I am super into whatever direction we're going, and I have no yeah. idea where we're going. So, this yeah. Is- this is gonna be this is gonna be one for the books for sure. My my favorite thing about the show is that every episode Sam learns something that's going to clearly inform 
what kind of a Captain America he is. In this episode, it's him, it's him learning about like Sharon's ordeal and seeing where Sharon is right now yeah. and him feeling guilt about that, that he could have done something about that. But like when, when they're on the plane flying to uh, 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 what is it like Libya or whatever they're going to at the end, yeah. um, he's, he's talking to Bucky and he's like, you know, like there's, there's a lot of pain that this hunk of metal like caused talking about the shield and Bucky's like, you know, like the, the shield means a lot to a lot of people, you know, me included. Like there's, there's a lot of meaning. There's a lot of symbolism behind this. And he's like, yeah, I know I, I made a mistake. And Bucky's like, yeah, you made a mistake. He's like, no, instead of handing it over, I should have destroyed, destroyed it. it. I was like, Oh, which is a great place for our lead hero to be at this point, <laughs> knowing that like, there's no way by the end of this, he doesn't take up the shield. Absolutely. It's a really interesting, like, they keep playing with the refusal of the call yeah. in a really interesting way where the, I mean, the show starts off with him just straight up refusing the call and be like, no, like, I don't want it. it it's, it's not mine. It's, I don't belong. And now he's at a place where he wants it just to let it go. Like there, there's so much darkness surrounding the Captain America legacy. And I think that's so interesting, especially because, and like it gives weight to that line that we constantly heard in the trailers about like, you know, the legacy of the shield is complicated. Like it, it gives a lot of weight to that. Yeah, man. Especially because like a lot of people, myself included, like we, we end up deifying Steve Rogers yeah. and you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to forget that he went on his own journey in the first Avenger on like, what is this supposed to be? What is, mm -hmm. is this, you know, am I yeah. fighting for my country? Am I just trying to stop bullies? Like, am I this USO like monkey? Like it's so interesting right. to me to see Sam get that moment where he's and throughout the show of getting these moments yeah. where he's like, I am not going to be the same Captain America as Steve was. Yeah. And when he ends up taking up that shield, it is going to be amazing to see where he it, goes next. It's going to be very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, final thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm super about it. Final thoughts on this episode. Um, do you have any, any fun theories going into next week? Okay. Power broker. Who do you think it is? If it's not Sharon, who do you think it is? If it's not Sharon, um... I mean, it'd be interesting if it was Maria Hill, but I, I want. Ooh, I want that would be interesting, right? Like, especially with how shady Maria Hill is in the comics. But I really want somebody who has like this. I mean, obviously, I want it to be Del Rusk. But like mm -hmm. they name drop Hell a skull yeah. in this, but mm -hmm. I I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Who do you think? I it's someone I've wanted back in these for a very long time. It, I think it's one of two people. It's either Samuel Stearns, Tim Blake Nelson is coming back as Samuel Stearns, Ooh. which would be really interesting. But that wouldn't work for him not creating the soldier serum himself. Fair. So unless like that doctor is kind of a patsy or something, I don't think that would really work. Yeah. Um, or it's Justin Hammer, baby. Oh my god. Can you what if Justin Hammer think? is just running Matterport now? That would totally like, be, that'd be awesome too. He would just That's like, the thing. technicolor, like people doing That's shady the things. Thing. Exactly. He'd be so horny for it. Like that would be cool. That'd be great. <laughs> so make it one of those two. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see um, 
see who that ends up being i i don't know what like what the flag smashers are ultimately going to accomplish i know what they're trying to accomplish yeah but i don't know what they're ultimately going to accomplish what they're actually series. going to do yeah so i'm i have a feeling that we are setting them up to be sympathetic just for like just for um walker and hoskins to like wipe them out like, legit, uh, like yeah i have a feeling that walker is gonna kill carly <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's gonna snap her neck (laughs) for sure he's gonna snap for sure and we got a little bit of a hint here i am super into seeing more of that next episode yeah but that is that is gonna do it for this week's weekly review tune in next week as we review episode four but for now we're gonna roll right on into this week's comics countdown Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeks Playing Pick of the Week of last week. And for me... Hands down, easy choice, X-Men number 19, written, of course, by Jonathan Hickman with art by Mahmoud Asrar. This wrapped up the uh, Vault Trio uh, two-part story, and oh boy, did I love it. Um, We got some Sync and Wolverine action that I really enjoyed. Uh, The stuff with Darwin was appropriately tragic, and it sets up the new kind of big antagonist going forward, at least in this book. So absolutely loved it. Can't wait to get more. Unfortunately, we did find out that uh, we're not going to be getting issue 20 until May, which makes me incredibly sad. But I will just have to soldier on and get myself ready to uh, to receive the next issue with some other comics. So jumping into this week's books, we got one, two, three, four. Eight books once again to check out. Let's go ahead and kick things off with Crime Syndicate number two. This is written by Andy Schmidt with art by Kieran McCone and Brian Hitch. And I will say I liked the first issue. I wasn't as into it as I thought I would be. Uh, I really did enjoy the uh, the Ultraman backups. So as I'm assuming, we're going to be getting more of those backups as we go along. Very much looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The New Deal Part 2 Slash An Owl in the Light With Starro ravaging the planet and controlling superheroes and villains alike, the fate of the world rests in the hands of Ultraman, Superior, and Owlman. In other words, win or lose, humanity is doomed. Question of the month. What famous Gotham foes are held in Owlman's cave? Plus, in the backup story, witness the origin of Owlman in a tale illustrated by superstar artist Brian Hitch. So yeah, like I said with the first issue, every issue looks like it's going to have a backup for a different member of the syndicate. Still looking forward to this. Again, I liked the first issue. I didn't love it, so I'm hoping this one grabs me a little bit more. Next up, we have Batman number 107, written by James Tynion IV, with art by George Jimenez and Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. Um, 
I really dug the first issue of this new uh, Infinite Frontier era. Very much looking forward to seeing what they do here. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The Cowardly Lot, Part 2, Slash, Ghostmaker, Chapter 1. Tensions are sky-high in Gotham City following the events at Arkham Asylum, and public opinion and unrest are starting to boil over. The Dark Knight has his hands full juggling the investigation of the reappearance of an old enemy, and the rise of a new gang in Gotham called the Unsanity Collective. Gotham City is getting more dangerous by the minute. Plus, in part one of Legend of the Ghostmaker, James Tynan IV and Ricardo Lopez Ortiz tell the most insane tale of action and adventure featuring Batman's frenemy, Ghostmaker. This one is not to be missed. So yeah, um, looks interesting. I, again, I love this Scarecrow redesign. I am super into it. And I'm, and I'm interested in this Unsanity Collective. There's a lot of uh, spinning plates in this book, and I like having a bunch of stuff to be excited about. Next up, we have The Next Batman, Second Son, number one, written by John Ridley with art by Tony Akins. And we knew this was coming out. This is basically your Jace Fox origin story, telling the story of how he becomes Batman in the, I'm assuming, the Future State era. Though this also kind of seems to be running alongside um, the current Batman run. I don't know. It's very, very uh, confusing. I hope they clear that up a little bit with this first issue. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. A new miniseries by Academy Award writer John Ridley and artist Tony Akins and Travel Foreman begins. Readers now know that after the events of Future State, Tim Fox is the next Batman. But what is his origin story? Why has he been estranged from Lucius Fox and his family for so long? Connected to the dramatic events of Infinite Frontier Number 0, these questions and many more will be explored in this thrilling new Digital First miniseries. So yeah, uh, this is, again, if you enjoyed uh, The Next Batman like I did, definitely keep an eye out for this book for sure. Um, I'm not sure if it's, I, I guess it is going to be digital first, so you'll be looking for this on Comixology or whatever uh, comics reading app you use, so Keep an eye out, though, for sure. Next up, we have Green Lantern number one. This is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Dexter Soy and Marco Santucci. Um, I will say I am not... Um I'm not super excited about this book. I am interested and I am picking this up mostly because we now know that in the second issue, Joe Mullane is going to be joining the book. So we will, uh, we'll see exactly what happens here. I'm interested, but I'm not, you know, over the moon excited about it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. As this new Green Lantern series begins, the newly formed United Planets and the Guardians of the Universe hold an intergalactic summit to decide who can best serve and protect the cosmos from danger. With a majority of Green Lanterns called back to Oa, Jon Stewart arrives alongside Teen Lantern Kelly Quintella, whose powerful gauntlet could be one of the most powerful and unstable weapons in the universe. With the entire landscape of the universe in flux, is this the end of the Green Lantern Corps or a new beginning? So yeah, this sounds really interesting. Um, we talked before about uh, the the 
I guess, lack of excitement for this book in uh, our big episode 150 uh, with Malcolm, who basically gave us the rundown on what this Green Lantern book is about and all the problems that might be coming out of this. But I will be checking out this first issue, if nothing else, to get to issue two and get me some more Joe Mullane. Next up, we have Firepower number 10, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. I have been loving this book. You know I've been loving this book. And um, it just keeps going from strength to strength. So let's go ahead and dive in the synopsis here. The tragic life of Owen Johnson becomes more tragic? Oh boy. That's not great. That sounds terrible. I am very scared from my boy Owen. Um, but I, like I said, I've been loving this. There's a great reveal last issue, and I am really excited to see how they handle it. So definitely pick this one up for sure. Next up, we have Suicide Squad number two. This is written by Robbie Thompson with art by Eduardo Ponsica. And, oh, man, I... I was very, very interested in this book. By the end of this book, I was hooked. I was, I am ready to see what they do with it. They killed everyone in your main Suicide Squad team with the exception of Peacemaker at during the first issue. So it feels like a Suicide Squad book should feel with literally everyone's lives on the line. And it's got my boy Connor Kent. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Assault on Arkham, part two. With the power of Superboy now under her control, Task Force X mastermind Amanda Waller sends the hero into Arkham Asylum to rescue Peacemaker and bring Talon, the famed Court of Owls assassin, back to join the new Suicide Squad. With lives hanging in the balance, the teen clone must decide if he's going to assist Waller, even if it means getting his hands a little bloody along the way. So yeah, I I think this little trio of Superboy, Peacemaker, and uh, Talon's going to be great. I don't know who this fourth person is on the cover, but I'm interested. It seems like there is a clear direction for this, so I'm looking forward to finding out what that direction might be. Next up, we have Marauders number 19, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli. You don't need me to heap praise upon this book, but I will anyway, because it's amazing. Marauders has been just as good as the main X-Men book, and it's consistently a book that I am const- that I am surprised by with every issue. So for nothing else, it keeps your attention, keeps you moving forward with the book, just to see what happens next. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. A Pirate's Life for Good as the pressure pours on in Madripoor, the marauders prepare to pillage and plunder as a proper pirate pleases. Lots of peas. Um, yeah, this is, you know, looks like we're getting back to a sense of normalcy, at least before the Hellfire Gala starts. So it seems like it's going to be a classic, just good old fashioned, simple marauder story. Or is it? We'll see. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up to the surprise of no one, is Far Sector number 11. Written by N.K. Jemison with art by Jamal Campbell. This is our penultimate chapter. This is the last issue before the finale with issue 12. Things have ramped up to a fever pitch. We have gotten to a boiling point, and I cannot wait to see what they do with this book. Um, Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Chapter 11. Everything is coming to a boil as we lay the groundwork for the Far Sector finale in this, our penultimate issue. Riots are breaking out across the city enduring as its citizens realize that there are political shenanigans disrupting their way of life and subverting the will of the people. To quell this unrest, At Blaze of Glory is threatening to unleash a terrible weapon upon her own people. Joe has to race against the ticking clock of a Green Lantern ring that is rapidly losing power to bypass the city's entire defense forces and stop this attack from above. Yeah, that's that's as high stakes as it gets. I don't know what to tell you. This is going to be awesome. I cannot wait to pick this up. So that does it for this week's comics countdown. To recap, we have Crime Syndicate number two, Batman number 107, the next Batman, Second Son number one, Green Lantern number one, Firepower number 10, Suicide Squad number two, Marauders number 19, and Far Sector number 11. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and ratings and reviews and subscriptions really do help us out, really helps me out, really helps the podcast out, kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you... Give us a five-star rating and review on Apple I, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can join the likes of our Magnificent Seven, that being Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88 Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, and Brian. I want to say a big thank you to these gentlemen for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, you have a question for me, you want to get my opinion on something, uh, if you want to get a quick pitch or just my uh, view on anything going on in the world or in the world of uh, geek culture, you can send uh, emails to our mailbag. Just send emails to geeksplain at gmail.com and put mailbag in the uh, subject line, and I will read them here on the podcast. Like our good friend Brian Real, I am doing my best. I think that's how I pronounce your name. If I If that is incorrect, Please correct me. I really, I don't mean to mispronounce people's last names. I do it all the time with the podcast, but I, I am, I'm trying not to. But uh, Brian writes, "Hey Eric, I've got a gu- I've got a double question this week. Love it. First up is where the heck was Young Justice on your top comic book cartoon list? Okay, uh, no hate on your list at all, as I think ours would be pretty similar, but I really think I would have had Young Justice as either my top two or number one. I think what makes it the best for me is that it feels so lived in, and I enjoy seeing the characters grow up with each new season and not feel so tied down to the no-aging rule in comics. Plus, I think that show is one of the best Dick Graysons in all of superhero media apart from his actual comic counterpart. What are your thoughts? Okay, I knew this was going to happen. As soon as I put that list together, as soon as I recorded it, as soon as I uploaded it, I knew somebody was going to ask me about Young Justice. And yes, it is incredible. Young Justice is one of the best DC comic book cartoons of all time. I absolutely echo everything that Brian said here. The idea of characters actually aging it see, is just a novel concept. It feels like a novel concept then. It feels like a novel concept now. Uh, but 
doing the big jump from season one to season two of five years was a huge deal for me and still is like rewatching the show. Um, I talked about this a little bit. Someone asked me about this on Instagram as well. Uh, you can check us out at Pod, Instagram and Twitter. Um, but basically my big issue with Young Justice, because I agree, the Dick Grayson there voiced by Jesse McCartney is incredible. One of my favorite versions of the character. The thing about the show is, I think that the first season is so well plotted, so well paced, and so good at everything that it's trying to accomplish, that seasons two and three don't exactly match up with it. I thought season two, watching it week to week, was kind of difficult for me, because they were... They had a lot of plates spinning at the time, and not all of them connected as well. Um, I will say that rewatching season two, you know, all together, binging it together, the story flows much better. But I do think that season three, which everybody, myself included, were over the mood about. I I love Young Justice. I really do. I've talked about it before on this podcast multiple times. Um, season three left a lot on the table for me. I There were some things in that season that I really wanted them to follow up on. There's certain things, certain loose ends that I think they could have tied up. Um, but that being said, I'm very excited about season four. Um, I really adore Young Justice. I would say if it was like a top, you know, 10, a top 15 list, it would be on there somewhere. But for me, for my personal list, it didn't make the cut, but I am so glad that people continue to harass me (laughs) about Young Justice because it is such a great cartoon. If, If you haven't watched it yet, do yourself a favor and check it out. On to his second question. Speaking of Nightwing, who is your ideal romantic partner for our boy Dick? I'm a big fan of him and Starfire being a thing just because it feels the most natural and like a romantic connection. Whenever I see him pushed with Barbara, on the other hand, it feels like a lazy pairing with two people who come off better as really good friends with a sibling relationship. Probably the only thing I like about the live-action Titans show so far after these two seasons were the push for Dick and Corey to be together. I'm glad you liked something about that show. Uh, I wonder how that will be going forward with Barbara being introduced in season three. But probably the main reason this question question comes to mind is because of Tom Taylor's run on Nightwing seems to be pushing Barbara to the front of the Nightwing romance queue. High hopes Corey shows up at some point, though. I have faith in what Tom Taylor writes regardless, but still, I wish we were getting that new Teen Titans romance going. What you think? Hope you've been doing well, and thanks for always making a great show. Well, thank you very much uh, for your for your email. I always love getting to have these conversations with you um when it comes to nightwing when it comes to dick grayson i am i am i fall somewhere in the middle between uh babs and Corey, because on the one hand i grew up with babs and dick being a thing barbara gordon dick grayson batgirl robin nightwing oracle that was the thing that i knew that was my comfort that was what i that was kind of the standard like okay This is like your Peter Parker and Mary Jane for me, except if Mary Jane was a crime fighter. And I was very surprised when I first watched the Teen Titans cartoon, which was on my top five list, um, when they didn't involve her at all, and they instead had a romance between Dick Grayson and Starfire. And when I went back into the comics and read it, 
as a child, I could not make up my mind between these two. Um, Dick Grayson definitely has a type. Those those redheads, he can't get enough of them. Um, but they, what I like is that they're two very different characters. You know, Starfire and Barbara Gordon could not be more different between the two, which is amazing because oftentimes, especially when it comes to... Um, older comics especially when it comes to the big two a lot of times romantic partners for their heroes will be just palette swaps they will be the same character just with a different haircut a different hairstyle different ethnicity and what i really like about uh about dick grayson's love interests is that they're two very different people and they bring out two very different sides of him you know when it comes to when it comes to Babs, she was always the person who kept him grounded, the person who's more logical, which allows him to be a little bit more whimsical, a little bit more um, devil may care, a little bit more um, fly by the seat of his pants. Where when it came to Corey, when it came to Starfire, he was her grounding. He was the one who had to kind of um, educate her on Earth customs. He was the one who had to, you know, keep his eye on her, and the two of them had a really great dynamic. So, with both relationships, it's hard to pick between the two because they balance each other out so well. I will say as someone who um, who really really enjoys um really enjoys his nostalgia and his soul food and his comfort comics. Um, I will always go back to Babs and Dick. I will always, that will always kind of be my, um, my OTP as it were. Um, the two of them, I, I can absolutely see where you're coming from, where it's like their position in many stories in more of a sibling role. But I think the two of them work the best together as this, um, as two people who could not be more different, but bring out the best in each other. That being said, um, oh man, it's, it's, you gotta love having Dick and Corey together. Like I just, they have something special together as well. So, um, I will say officially undecided. <laughs> um, I, I like, you know, the idea of, of them having, of, this is how I like it. Okay. So I'm just, I'm going to give you my, my elevator pitch for them. So I like, Dick and Babs having had this childhood romance that went up into adulthood and then then and then them breaking up for whatever amount of reasons you know we could go with the idea that you know Dick is too carefree he is too um uh what is the word unattainable or uncageable to Babs, who is very grounded, and this idea that he's kind of this addiction to her. I think that would be a really interesting angle on it. You know, she knows that he's bad for her because she needs stability, and he doesn't bring that. But, and then him ultimately, you know, ending up with Starfire because the two of them, you know, bring out the best in each other. Uh, I like both. I don't think either one is wrong. Uh, I don't think either one is necessarily better but i do see the merit in both of them but overall thank you very much brian for sending that uh sending that email in again if you want to be part of our geek 
Geeksplain mailbag. Send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header and I will read it on here. And as I mentioned before, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you want to know what's going on with me, if you want to uh, participate in polls that decide future episodes, a poll on Twitter decided this very episode that you are listening to. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. I'm also currently on Twitter doing the Favorite X-Hero April uh challenge thing where every day I uh, post something in regards to my favorite X-Hero. Who is my favorite X-Man, you may ask? Well, go on our Twitter and find out and follow along. You can also join along and do that challenge. Uh, Just catch up. So check that out. Check out all of our social medias. Uh, We're also getting ready to do some pretty awesome collaborations that I'm very excited about. Um, So keep your ear to the ground on that. I will be announcing those kind of collaborations on our social media. So again, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, keep up to date with me, that is the place to go. But that is going to wrap up this week's episode. That's going to do it. Uh, We are officially in April. Things are moving pretty quickly here. Um, As I am recording this, I have just recently gotten my second dose of the Moderna vaccine. My partner and I got the vaccine, our second dose yesterday. And boy, am I feeling it. And so is she. Um, Lots of sore arms, lots of sore, achy muscles. But... Um, it is a small price to pay to uh, feel a little bit safer in the world that we live in. So uh, I'm feeling good about it. We will see if that continues, but um, I am excited to see you know how things progress uh, now that the world is starting to slowly inch back towards whatever normal is gonna be new you know, whatever this new normal we're going to be involved in. So um, join me next week for a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, wear a mask, and we will see you next time. (laughs) 